Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Ana Maria Hamario is a board-certified bilingual pediatric speech-language pathologist and private practitioner in Washington, D.C. In this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, Ana Maria talks about what drove her to start a bilingual-focused private practice and also why she's passionate about increasing diversity in the field of speech-language pathology. Ana Maria is a straight talker, and this episode is full of lessons learned and candid advice for those pursuing private practice. This is a truly fantastic episode for anyone who is passionate about serving underserving populations and bringing your services to those in need. So let's dive in. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Sure. So my name is Ana Maria Jaramillo, and I'm the owner and founder of Voz Speech Therapy in downtown Washington, D.C. And this is a very special episode because you and I actually know each other in real life from a couple of years ago, which we'll talk about shortly. But it's been so much fun to watch you flourish in private practice. I remember when you were first getting started and now you're a couple of years in. So I can't wait for you to share this uh, whole story with your listeners. But Let's go back to the beginning of, you know, when you were first, I don't know whether you want to talk about grad school or shortly thereafter, talk about your early career as a speech language pathologist. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Jenna. I think I speak for many of us in the field that just a huge thank you for everything you've done for us and the support that you've given us and all of your resources and your guidance have been instrumental in my uh, launch as an entrepreneur. And I really think that the field of speech language pathology needs so many more private practitioners because what we do is such a gift and it's um, so life-changing. Our services are incredibly undervalued and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, but 
I had a, I kind of had a different experience in the field of speech language pathology. I thought I wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be a, a child psychiatrist. And I was like very into um, the brain and why kids act the way they act. And then I quickly discovered that I didn't really want to do medical school for that long, mainly because I was a social butterfly and I really loved my social life. And so I discovered the field of SLP. And it wasn't until I graduated from Emerson and I moved back home to Austin, Texas, that I started to work in the home health sector. And I started working particularly like with Spanish speaking children of immigrants or immigrants themselves with Medicaid. And so there were a lot of hats that I had to wear as an SLP when I would go into those houses. And I wasn't just doing early intervention. I was seeing kids up until 18. So the little ones up until 18. And it felt like this perfect marriage of like social worker, SLP, human, friend, daughter, teacher, and learner, because I was learning so much from these families and they were teaching me how to appreciate the small things in life because I've known to be, I'm a Leo through and through, I'm dramatic. I want attention on me all the time. And these families would just teach me like, listen, that's not important. Like we are dealing with real issues and speech and language wasn't even the first thing in their heads um, when I would come into their house. I had to kind of bring that education and that awareness to them. And when we worked together as a team, it was when the magic really happened. And I fell in love with the field five years after I graduated from Emerson. Like I wasn't really sure about the field when I was at a school because the schools and I, we had a falling out a long time ago. There was a lot of red tape and bureaucracy. And I was like, this isn't for me. And when I discovered home health and, and working with those families, I knew that eventually my practice was going to be to increase access for those particular families that oftentimes get forgotten and they're just severely oppressed like all over. And so I knew that I could make a difference and, and really the field of speech language pathology kind of allowed me to be a part of their life that maybe I wouldn't have been otherwise. I love that. So at what point you, you mentioned that that was kind of what made you, you knew that you wanted your practice to focus on, you know, on this population. When did you start thinking about private practice? Was this when you were in the schools, when you were in home health, or just through those experiences? I knew that I wanted to own my practice ever since I was like 10 years old. I've always been a leader. I've always been very determined. And when I have a goal, I, I get it done somehow. I always have my eyes on the prize. And I knew that I wanted to have my own space and not just be the director, or the leader calling the shots, but really create like a, a safe environment for my coworkers, my team and the families and the patients. And I was noticing that a lot of the environments that I was going into as a clinician were not really safe. Like it wasn't ever a, a space where these families felt like they could speak their mind or they could ask questions or they could just be themselves. And when I came into the house and I'm giving myself entirely way too much credit. I'm not to say that I was like their angel, right. Or their guiding light. But, um, I really tried to understand their background and where they were coming from and try to be as humble as possible. And so I knew that when I was little, that I just wanted to have like this beautiful environment around me. And I was like, well, how can I have that if I don't create it myself? 
And so I really started to think about private practice from a business standpoint. I want to say when I moved to DC in 2018 from Texas, and I moved to DC for love, um, my fiance and I met at Courtney Overton's wedding, who I graduated from Emerson with. And I never thought in a million years. I love that when people say that about weddings, but I love when it actually happens. Isn't that wild? Like, I cannot believe that I met this guy now that I'm getting married to in April at her wedding. And I moved here for him because I was kind of over Austin. Like, I felt like I outgrew it. I needed a city that was going to be challenging me a little bit more in D.C., is incredible. There's, there's poof, the people here are just on another level. They're so inspiring. There's like a nonprofit for everything. I mean, you meet the most incredible people here doing the work, talking the talk, walking the walk. So I was like, yes, DC is great. I want to go there. And um, really started thinking about my practice when I was on LinkedIn and I was on Indeed and I was like searching for all these jobs, right? I was like, I'm a bilingual SLP with seven years what do y'all, what do y'all got for me? And there was nothing. It was like a clinic had a part-time job, but the clinic was in the middle of nowhere. And like, when I called them and asked about like, you know, bilingual services and like cultural sensitivity and all the things that I care about. And I practiced, they were like, huh, can you fill the position or not? And I'm like, "Mm, no. And then of course the schools, there's always the schools, but I wasn't trying to get paid you know, nothing and then get exploited and have a caseload of 150 students, which always happens when you're bilingual. So I kept striking out and I was like, something's got to give. Like, I know that I didn't get this degree in vain. Like uh, I have to find the perfect setting and I just couldn't. And I became a contractor, right? Cause that's what you do. You kind of dabble in all these different companies. And then, um, Maybe I'm getting ahead of ahead of myself, but I can tell you kind of the moment where I decided like, this is it. I was contracting for a company here based in Virginia. For those of you that don't know, the DMV is DC, Maryland, Virginia, and we're all very close together. So in one day, you can be in Maryland in the morning, DC in the afternoon, and Virginia at night. Very much a thing here. So um, I was contracting for a company based in Virginia, a pretty, pretty solid company that specialized in school-based services, literacy services, and um, dyslexia. I was at a school doing my thing, therapy, treatment, whatever. And I became pretty close to the special ed coordinator at the school. And one day she was at her computer and I was writing a report. We were getting ready for an IEP meeting and she looked at me and she's like, Hey, can I ask you like a kind of like personal question? Like, um, she's like, feel free not to answer. And I was like, yeah, what's up? She's like, um, how much does the company you contract for pay you per evaluation? And I was like, $250. And she was like, Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. Now you have to tell me why you asked me that question. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, but you can't say anything. And I'm like, well, just tell me. And she's like, do you know how much we pay the the company like that you work for, for your evaluation? I was like, no, she's like a thousand dollars. I was like, what? Wow. And literally I left the school. I called this accountant that had been in my phone book that I was like, you know, doing circles, thinking about it. Should I call her? Should I not? 
I was like, Hey, can we set up a meeting tomorrow? I want to open a company. I want to open an LLC and I need you to file all the paperwork for me. And she was like, yeah, 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 sure. And that was April 1st of 2018. And I never looked back after that. I love that so much. Right. And April 1st is April fool's day, right? You're like, I'm no fool. I'm starting my own practice. (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-uh, what is that? No, no. Well, that's the thing, right? And people need to understand that like, you know, when, when someone else is in control of how much you're getting paid, it puts you in a kind of tricky situation. Right. And so that's one of the things I really want private practitioners to be thinking about is, or, you know, SLPs and OTs, whatever, all, all of us is like, you want to be in charge of how much you're making. Right. Same thing with the schools you mentioned earlier about having like huge caseloads, right. There's a huge difference between getting paid a flat rate for the year no matter how many people they put on your caseload versus having your own business where you decide what the cap is. And if you see more people, you make more money, right? Right. Yeah. It's common sense, but you don't know until you like, you know, right? So for me, having the numbers in my face and the way that she said it to me, I was like, she didn't have to share that information with me. I had no idea what people were making off of my services. And if I would have just continued without opening a practice, I mean, jokes on me then, right? I can't complain if I'm getting paid nothing. Oh, I wasn't going to pay nothing, but I was, I mean, what I get, what I'm making now and what I have built now, which my always my goal was never the money, but always increasing access. Why not do both? You know what I mean? Why not be successful financially and not have to worry about getting exploited and increase and give these services to the kids that need them the most and are not getting them. So it just, it was a no brainer for me. Yeah. I love that. Right. You really found a way to increase your impact and your income, right? And, you know, I'm a believer that we need to be having people who are good people making more money, right? We don't need, we don't need bad people making more money, right? If we can get oh, no more money into the hands of good people who are going to do good things with that, like that's, that's a right. good thing to do, not a bad thing, everybody. So I love that. Okay. So you call the accountant, you're like, listen, file the paperwork. I'm starting my own thing. So what happened yeah. next? So then, um, of course, I always knew, well, I didn't always know, but I knew that the easiest transition for me in starting my practice was to be mobile because that's what I had done in Austin for five years. I was home health. And so I thought, well, if I'm not going to accept insurance because I'm a one-man team and I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole yet, then I want to go to patients' houses in DC. I wanted to be very particular about where I went because distances can get very crazy here because of the Maryland, Virginia thing. So I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open Vos as a mobile thing for the time being until I feel financially stable enough to look for a brick and mortar and afford overhead because Overhead in DC is wild. As I know, it's, it is in Boston, but DC is like on another level of 
commitment. And so I was like, I'm not there yet. And for anyone that's listening, if you think that you need a certain amount of money to start a business, like I had nothing. Like, I think, I mean, I didn't have savings for my practice. All I had was like a bunch of heart and ambition and determination. And I knew that my services were needed. And I just basically bought a WordPress website. I bought the $300 business plan and I researched everything and anything about building a website. And I wanted to make it super pretty. That was like the first thing I did after I hung up with my accountant because she was taking care of the paperwork and I didn't want to get in between that. So she was doing all the legal stuff. And I was building my website and I knew how are parents, like I always put myself in parents' shoes, right? Like how are, if I were a parent and I had a child that was having difficulties, what's the first thing I would do, right? Google, 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 Yelp, 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 ask my friends, right? Who have you seen? Who has your kid seen? What is your doctor saying? Whatever. And so I was like, my website needs to be perfect. I need it to be polished modern, clean. I want them to know who I am. I want it to be friendly, whatever. So it took me like four months to build my website. And then I launched it officially like in August. And I was just private pay. I was going to houses just in DC. My sessions were an hour. Um, But I was still a contractor because you know I didn't have a, a private patient yet. I didn't have any clients yet. And so I made it a goal because I love to put deadlines on myself. I love challenges. I'm like, by January 1st, 2019, because I launched in technically in August, I started the business in April, launched the website in August, started accepting patients in August. I was like, by January 1st, 2019, I'm going to quote unquote, like leave the full-time contractor gig and go part-time contractor, part-time boss, right? So I wanted to have at least like five to eight patients that I was seeing on the side. And, you know, timing is crazy. Things just kind of fell in my lap. Like my contractor gig, it was like slowing down anyway. And then this other SLP who owns a practice here, very successful. She's from Texas. She's like, hey, I've heard really good things about you from another SLP. She's like, I'm going on maternity leave. Do you want to like see my kids for like six months? And I was like, oh my gosh, I just started my practice. Like I can see your kids and then see my kids. And then in six months, I think I'll be good to be on my own. And so I completely left the contracting gig with the other company who was making a ton of money off of me. And I raised my rate for the girl that wanted me to take over maternity leave. And then I was getting private pay with my patient. So that was like, I would say like, the ballsiest thing I've done because I knew then I was like on my own, right? Because now I actually had a deadline that I had to meet because all those kids were going to leave when she came back from maternity leave. And so I think that I officially went on my own with Vos um, the summer of 2019. And I was still, I was still mobile. And then now I'm like blanking. We're in 2022 already. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm just like thinking about this timeline. Like, this is crazy. The mobile thing, it was very much taking off. Like I was good. I had 15 patients. I was seeing many of them more than one time a week, depending on their needs. 
I was driving all over DC, but I wasn't burnt out and tired yet of driving. It, mm-hmm. That happened when I got in a car accident and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is, oh. again, timing, things happen yeah. for a reason. I had already been thinking about moving into a brick and mortar, but when when I got in the dumbest car accident ever, I was just like, you know what? There's yeah, I was like, there are so many other things that I could be doing right now in an office that don't involve me swirling through traffic, trying to make my appointments on time, parents chatting me up 30 minutes after my session, making me late for my next session. So you know, Trump with all of his cars coming through downtown DC and I have to wait until he passes, all that stuff. I was like, I'm done. So I think I had the aha moment of moving into a brick and mortar and having a team because it was still just me, me, myself and I having a team. I want to say January of last year. Yeah. January of 2021. I got approached by this really cool company called Symbiosis that is, so the CEO is a tech dude and he's married to a physical therapist. This is actually going to interest you a lot, Jenna, because this is like very, very cool. He started a, basically like a private practice in a box thing. So his wife graduated from PT school and she was like, I want to start a practice. And she was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And he was like, what do you mean you don't know? She's like, I have all these talents. I'm super specialized. She went to school for so long. She had all these letters by her name. Like I've never seen anyone with that many credentials in my life. But she's like, but I don't know anything about business. And he was like, well, I went to business school and I'm in tech. So I'm going to help you launch it. Right. And so now they created this company where they basically recruit doctors, SLPs, OTs, PTs, anybody, massage therapists, anyone who's ready to start their practice. And they give them a beautiful space in a, in a beautiful corporate office. They give them um, an EMR system. They give them Wi-Fi. They give them um, a front desk receptionist, logo all over the building. And they also give them like a medical billing team to do all the credentialing for them. So it's really like this private practice accelerator package. And when I heard that, I was like, well, I've already done so many of the other things. I already have a brand. I already have a following. I already have a caseload. The only thing I'm missing is credentialing with insurances and having a space. That company was going to take those two things and just like take them off me basically. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I opened the brick and mortar in officially May of last year, but like (laughs) the credentialing process has just been like, as you know, it's the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. that, that one, that one often takes time and is a pretty big learning curve. But I remember, like, I remember on Instagram when you posted, when you were first getting in your space and like how exciting that, that was. And it, you know, I was just cheering you on from afar. Right. So it's like, so exciting. It always, it feels very official, right? I feel like for a lot of people, when you first get like business cards, even though business cards are like kind of obsolete these days, 
it still feels so official, right? Then you get a website and that feels official, right? But also having that brick and mortar space is a really big step, right? And you mentioned earlier about the overhead, right? But I know that you knew that your services were going to be in demand. So it was worth it to take that like air quotes risk, knowing that you would have the volume to fill the your caseload in the space and the caseload of others too, right? So tell everybody what, what happened after you kind of got in your space. I uh, negotiated my contract to be like basically not rent abatement, but basically I don't have to pay overhead for the first three months because not only was I taking my practice that was mobile. And I was conveniently offering my services to all of these families in their home. Now I was asking them to come to me and I was nervous. I was like, what if they all say no? What if they all are like, no, sorry, we can't go downtown. Like we don't have a car. We don't know how to drive or the nanny doesn't drive or whatever. So I was like, this is a big shift for me. And I need time to a set up my space exactly the way I want it. I think about the pediatric clinics with like the rainbow hands and the letters. And it makes me want to barf. I'm like, no, I want people to come into my space and think that no kid has ever been in there before. I want my place pristine. I don't want toys out. I want everything to be modern and gray and white and calming. I have like aromatherapy in there. So I was like, first of all, aesthetic is everything to me. So that took me like a solid three weeks to set it up. And then of course I have to have plants because I don't have a dog or a cat. So plants are like, what's cutting it right now until I decide to be a mom. (laughs) And um, so that was like the first step. And then the second step was um, starting this credentialing process, which I had been told through the grapevine and through your Facebook group, which I read, how long does it really take to get credential? And some people were saying three months. Some people said six, some people said nine. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. So I think that the first, the most important thing for me was to make sure that the patients that I had on my caseload in that moment felt comfortable and safe coming into the the clinic because duh, we're in a pandemic. Like it's, Let's not forget that I had to deal with that too, right? Now I have infectious control disease protocols that I didn't have to worry about before. I have to make sure everybody's wearing a mask. I have to make sure that the receptionist is, you know, treating my patients the way I I treat them because I'm delegating now, which I never had to do before. It was just me. I was answering the phones. I was making sure every email was sent. And now I was giving a lot of that power to somebody else. And that is so nerve wracking when you're, a type A control freak like me, because duh, nobody can do things the way I do them because nobody's me. And I had to let that go because now I was going to be worried about volume. Like you said, I'm moving from this individualized, like maybe staying, I don't know, 20, doing 20 sessions a week, if that, to moving into like 55 to 60 sessions a week. And Not that that I was ever going to compromise my quality of services, but if my main goal was to increase access to bilingual children that have been on wait lists for six to nine months, I got to move them through. I got to get patients in the door, like in and out. Right. And so I didn't, summer was slow. Summer was hard. A lot of families were out of town because the vaccine was 
was working and families were done with DC. They were like, we've been here forever. My kid hasn't been in summer camp since, you know, 2019. Like we got to get out. So summer was very slow. It was very hard. I brought on another bilingual SLP that works with me, Haley. She's amazing. Um, She works with adults and children. And I was like, hey, you got to take a chance on me. I don't have a lot of patience for you right now, but I promise you I'm building something bigger than even I can imagine. But I just need you to come in and work with the patients that I have for you and I'll build your caseload. Things started picking up a lot when we started accepting Blue Cross Blue Shield in October. But from May to October, we were just still private pay. And I just want to be really honest. Most Latinx families cannot afford private pay services, period. Most of them, especially in DC, are on Medicaid. And I always had that in the back of my head. And it's always pulling at my heartstrings. Like here I was, this Latinx clinician that was super trained, super in love with her job and great at her job, but I was only seeing the 1%, right? And I was like, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not who I, and, and a lot of people would, I think a lot of people probably were judgy because that's kind of like, it's this moral like conflict that I was having, right? Like here I am preaching about increasing accesses, but then here I am charging $150 a session. So I knew that eventually that that was not going to work. So I was trying to move as fast as I could, but the credentialing was just taking forever. So fast forward to where we're at today, the team has grown to now Haley is with me full time. And I, of course, am, I say, quote unquote, lead clinician, but I mean, Haley and I work the same amount. And um, I have Adia, who is a speech language pathology assistant, and she is working at a school. So I have um, a contract with a couple of different schools, and she provides services to them, and Haley supervises her. And um, I'm actually interviewing another bilingual SLP that wants to come on in the summer. So where we're getting there, we accept now like five insurances, but it's been it's been a lot slower than I anticipated. And I think it's because the pandemic for sure. I think it's because I just switched my website. So I, I, I'm hoping my SEO is like doing something. I think we're going to have a big, big, big jump, hopefully in the spring when things start to calm down a little bit. But I just keep telling myself like, it's all going to work out. Good things take a long time. And I'm remembering what my goal is. And yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty proud of what, what I've built so far. Well, as you should be right. Like this is the, this is the important thing. This is what everyone needs to be doing is to be filling a void right there. No matter which patient population you love, those people, like, I, I can't think of a, of a population that has an abundance of services. Right. Right. I don't know if you can, but like most of the people that we serve are not getting enough of what they need. Right. They might be getting something. Some people are getting nothing and other people are getting, you know, subpar services. Maybe they need really two times a week, but they can only get, you know, 20 minutes in a group at their school or whatever. Right. And so there is a need for the services. And so starting a private practice is a way to fill the void 
for both the families and the clients that you want to serve, as well as your own personal void, right? Of feeling like, you know, you're being underpaid and, you know, not respected enough and, you know, that your talents are, are going to waste in a company that doesn't, you know, support them or whatever, right? So, so yes, the the people are out there, right? So now this is like your your next phase is like, okay, you have the space, you have the clinicians, you still have the mission, right? That's driving this whole ship. Now you have the insurance credentials and everything. So now it's like, okay, how do we get the people in there, right? So that's going to be, right. the website is one, right? And then just networking, right? Whether it's networking with physicians and specialists, whether it's, you know, community centers, whether it's, you know, yes. churches, whoever is like, okay, who knows my ideal client and how can right. I get those people to know that we exist, that we have openings and that we are willing to support this community, right? Right. Yes. So I am a firm believer of old school marketing. Like I'm all about digital, but when you walk in and you show your face and people feel your vibes and your warmth and your passion, I think that is the most powerful form of showing people what you have to offer at your space. So I used to do these marketing runs in Austin with the like top marketer of my enormous Texas home health agency. And I knew what she was doing. She was using me because I knew how to talk to people. I had credentials on my scrubs. My name was Ana Maria Jaramillo. So she knew that all the bilingual kids were going to go to me and that that's what the doctors wanted. Right. And so I'm like, wait a minute. I used to do this all the time for somebody else. Why don't I just do this myself? So the the reason why I haven't done these marketing runs yet is because we just got the acceptance for credentialing on December 23rd. And that was right before like Omicron came. And Omicron, yes. 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 Two things like just like screwed all of us. Right. He was like, oh, holiday plans. Nope. Like I'm coming in. So I closed the clinic out of really protection for my unvaccinated patients that are too young. Um, I closed it December 17th and I haven't reopened it. I'm opening it tomorrow for the first time again, because I actually had COVID. I just like recovered from it. Fun times. Uh, I'm really glad I closed the clinic because I knew, I knew it was coming for me. I was like, how do I have, how have I not gotten COVID with the work that we do? Right. It's, it's just, it's like inevitable almost. So, so yeah, I haven't, had a chance to really market my services. Every single patient that has come through the door from 2018 until now has been word of mouth or has found me on Google. I have never walked into a community center, a doctor's office. I've never made those connections in the community, frankly, because I haven't had to. Business has been good, but now I'm like, all right, I got the credentials. I have the insurances. I need volume. So my goal is either this Wednesday or next Wednesday, I have five clinics that serve the Latinx community, specifically undocumented immigrants. And I'm just going to go in and I'm going to just work my magic. I'm going to drop off some cookies, maybe some breakfast tacos. My fiance owns a breakfast taco company. I don't know. I'm going to, you know, I got some tricks on my sleeve. 
try to get them to send me some patience, but it's all going to work out. Like I'm not, I'm not stressed about that part. Cause I'm like, I already did the hardest part. What I've done up until this point was so hard and so demanding on so many levels that now I'm like, I set the foundation for patients to just come in. And now we just, the back end stuff, like we know what we're doing now. And I think that is, that is really the hardest part. It's like the foundation of your practice. It's there. So a thousand percent. Because right now you're in a position now where, where you're ready to serve, right? You've yes. done all of the groundwork, right? And, and because your mission is to increase access, you're now at this really cool threshold where you are like set up. You've got, again, the people and the space and everything else. And you're going to be making these connections. And like, you know, I'm the kind of person who, who believes that like when you're really ready, the people will come, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're mm-hmm. in a position where you're really ready and the holidays are over and, you know, who knows what with COVID, but, you yeah, know, you're, you're ready and, and you know, you know that there are people who are ready for you. And so now it's just sort of, you know, connecting those two people, right? But I mean, I think yeah. that I totally agree with you. I think the springtime, also people kind of hunker, we're, we're recording this, um, everybody in January. And during the winter too, people are kind of like, you know, and y'all just got a bunch of snow, like, you know, people are kind of hunkered down right now. The spring is a really a time where people are like, okay, maybe my, my kid hasn't been making as much progress this year. Like we we need to do something about that. Right. Or like the weather's getting a little bit nicer. We're kind of coming out of, you know, winter, let's get out there and get those services that we said we were going to do at the beginning of the year, but we didn't, but now it's time. Right. Right. So Spring is a really good time for for many private practices. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. People are gonna, like I say, people are gonna do be people. Like, there's no point in understanding how people think and why they make their decisions because then you're just once you think you figure them out and like you something happens and then you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting them to do that. So I'm not super worried. I think my biggest worry was like, what do we do if we get this influx and we're not ready? I don't have the staff. I don't have the medical billing team ready. I don't accept that insurance or there's a wait list. Like those decisions freak me out more than taking my time and making sure all my ducks are in a row so that when we start, and that's not to say that like, we're, I would say we're about 50 to 60% at capacity right now. So it's not to say we're slow. We're just not because I'm bilingual. I'm like, listen, I know all of you are out there. Where are you? You know, cause I'm targeting, I'm my, my target audience is a very specific type of child or individual. Like I want the kids that have been on wait lists for children's hospital services that have been looking for a bilingual SLP for months I want those kids, not to say I'm not going to accept a monolingual kid, but like a monolingual kid can go anywhere, right? I want the the bilingual, the Spanish-speaking kids that um, have just kind of been thrown to the side and nobody knows what to do with them. And I think that like the biggest weight is now off because when you spend so much time making sure everything is perfect, like perfect doesn't exist. Like there's always an issue, right? There's always going to be something that goes that was not in my plan. But at least I know 
how to react and how to handle these fires because they've been happening already. And I feel like I'm at a point where it's still manageable. And if I were to have a crazy caseload from day one, I don't think I would have been able to make it. You know, I would have just been so overwhelmed. And it's, not, it's not like I'm in school full time. It's not like I have another organization. It's not like I teach. You know, it's not like I do all these other things all the time. So, well, that, that's actually a perfect segue. Tell tell the listeners what are some other things that you're involved in because you're involved in a lot of things. Yes. So I always joke, and I'm like, I say, like my private practice is like 20 percent of my life which is hilarious because you would think it's a hundred percent of my life. It is not, it's not 20%. I don't know what the percent is, but it's, it's not that much of my life. I am a, a doctoral student at Northwestern. So I'm getting my clinical doctorate at Northwestern and I'm defending in March. So I'm defending in two months. And then you're getting like, married in April. I'm getting married in April. I'm psycho. Like why I would do it that way. But see, like w- when it rains, like it pours, like That's I just right. need to get it all out of the way because that anticipation of like, okay, well I defend in March and then maybe I'll get married in the fall. No, I want to have a summer where I'm just like, I just want to chill and like really enjoy, enjoy my practice and enjoy the the hobbies that have long left my life now. Cause I don't have a minute. But um, yeah, so I'm in school. I defend in March. I'm getting married in April. I am an adjunct professor at NYU. So I teach for their bilingual extension program. Um, Currently on pause because I need to defend and I have to focus on writing my, my dissertation and all that stuff. And then I have an organization that I started with a classmate of mine from Emerson class of 2013, Courtney Overton, you you all might know her as Speech of Kate. Um, she has a practice here in Virginia, so she's local. And another one of our friends named um, Dr. Christina Royster, she has a practice in Maryland. We started an organization called Diversity SLP, D-I-V-R-C-I-T-Y SLP. And we focus on increasing diversity of like minoritized students or individuals of color to join the SLP field by um, recruiting them at their local high schools or community colleges. And then more recently, since the pandemic started and we have not been able to go into high schools, we started doing work on like anti-racist webinars and culturally and linguistically sustaining evaluations and interventions. And we presented at a lot of different different universities and panels. And it's been really, really fun. I wish that I could give more time to that because that's something that I'm very passionate about. But um, yeah, fortunately, I got to, I'm spread really thin right now, but all things that I love. And um, I don't think I regret doing all these things at once because that's just my personality. I like to stay busy. I like challenges. And I get bored very easy. So I think that um, all of these things that take up my time are things that I feel very strongly about and, and they make me happy. And I think that that's, um, that's the important part. Totally. Because you're doing things just like you said that you're passionate about, right? So whether it's your practice, whether it is your own education, whether it's you know educating other students, recruiting into our very white profession, right? 
I think, and I really like, I remember when y'all were, had the, the PowerPoint, right. That y'all were going into to the high schools and career days and community colleges and all that kind of stuff. And I was always like, just so happy that y'all were actually doing that. Cause that's something that people say like, oh yeah, we should do this. <laughs> but y'all, they were, they all were the like, they were doing it. Right. And so, yeah. you know, hopefully y'all, maybe y'all could find some interns or something. I don't know. You see if, who else could, could help you with that. Right. Cause I know that, a lot, I mean, the three of you are also really like our business owners, right? Y'all are doing some pretty yeah. big stuff yourselves, right? But I know yeah. that there's other people who, you know, could also be part of that mission who could also be supporting you. And that'd be really cool if you could find some of those people because y'all are y'all already did a lot of like the legwork in getting started. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The goal with diversity has always been for us to have reach at a national level. Yeah. It has never been to just go into high schools and recruit because I think that the root issue, and of course, this is a conversation for a whole other podcast, but I think the root issue starts at the undergraduate and graduate school level, like talking to professors and other individuals in power that have these microaggressions and are leading the field to stay white and not allow other people to feel like they're part of this community. And then we have retention issues once an individual of color is in the field, right? Are they staying in the field or are they getting bullied out? And so the the goal with diversity and the way that we're moving the organization right now is we're talking to some pretty um, high-level institutions and they're trying to implement some of the work that we've already laid out into their curriculum. And that's super cool. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we get a couple grants going, we get a couple of really like solid people that that follow us. And I know Asha was huge for us. We spoke there and we got a lot of really great attention and feedback there. So I'm excited for the way that things are moving for for diversity, but it's definitely like my my baby. I love that. You know, you you're just such a powerhouse, right? Like it's like you know, I just love watching you in action, right? You're, you're, you're passionate, you're smart, you're out there doing the work, doing the things that you need to do for others, for yourself. And, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, like where to follow you on Instagram or the internet or wherever, where should people follow you? So there's a couple of different uh, Instagram accounts that I manage. The first one, I think the the one that people know me the most on is um, Ana Maria SLP. So my name is Ana Maria M A R I A SLP. And then you can follow my clinic um, at Voz V O Z Speech Therapy DC. And th- this is all on Instagram, by the way. And then you can also follow Diversity's Instagram. So. That's our really our only website at the moment. We don't have an actual um, website or a Facebook yet, but it's D-I-V-E-R-C-I-T-Y-S-L-P. So any of those three accounts can be where you can reach me. I love it. So y'all go follow. Also send, send Ana Maria a DM, right? Like send her a DM and say, listen, I listened to your episode. I was really inspired by, you know, X, Y, and Z right? Because that's the whole point of this podcast is for people to hear, you know, different types of private practices, different types of people, different types of experiences, right? Because I want people to know that like, there's no perfect way to be in private practice. There's no one way to have a private practice, right? 
And the only thing that matters is that you create something that you love and that serves other people. And if you can do that, right, that's, that's the whole point, everybody. <laughs> so, um, yes, so much for being on the show. And, um, again, go give her a follow on all three of her accounts and, um, yeah, thank you for sharing your, your story and your wisdom and inspiration with us. Thank you so much for all your words. And I really appreciate all the guidance that you've given me. And I know I speak for many SLPs, but thank you for, for everything. Don't you just love Ana Maria? I love her energy, her drive, and her passion for serving underserved populations and just making sure that bilingual children have access to speech therapy services. There were so many nuggets of wisdom in this episode, and I really hope that you enjoyed listening especially if this is something that you want to do. Some of my most successful students in the Start Your Private Practice program are bilingual and have opened practices specifically to serve linguistically diverse populations. So if you know that this is a need in your area, why not fill it by starting your own private practice? When you join the Start Your Private Practice program, we'll get you set up and started step-by-step and give you access to ongoing support along the way. Plus, you'll be able to network with other bilingual SLPs and OTs in our private student Facebook group. We only open a few times a year, so make sure you're on the waitlist by going to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist to be notified as soon as we reopen. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you next week for more tips, tricks, and success stories. Till then! have been toying with the idea of starting a private practice for some time now. So even being a full-time working mom, it was really nice to have a system that was all set up for me. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. And I was able to land a client within about the first week and a half of me going public with my private practice. So now I have 12 clients. It is such an invigorating and amazing experience. If you want help to start your speech therapy private practice, then head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist so that you will be notified as soon as we reopen the doors to the Start Your Private Practice system. Again, that's startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist. I cannot wait to help you start your private practice. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.